love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new have come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That this is in Christ, God, we reconciling the world for himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For their sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might, we might become the righteousness of God. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's how I was thinking. Thanks, Benny. I love your enthusiasm. I feel like sometimes we just have a conversation and everyone else is just like. <laughs> he is awesome. He is awesome. Isn't God awesome? That's right. <laughs> He's so good. I uh, want to say good morning to you. Welcome you. Uh, if this is your first time at Conduit, welcome. Um, we uh, pur purposely put broken furniture on the stage. Um, and we purposely do a lot of other things that may seem like, wait a minute, am I in the right, this is a church, right? Like, am I in the right place? There's swings in here. Um, <laughs> we're just glad you're here. And, um, you know, if we seem a little, like, if we're yawning or if you look around and you see people yawning, chances are it's because they've had a huge weekend of giving of, and week, and summer of giving of themselves to serve this community. Uh, we've been theming on summer fun. Not just here, but specifically out in the community. We've been doing these events called I Am Loved events. We had our first one in June, the end of June. And uh, we saw about 800 people come to this podunk little park on the north side of Jamestown and just get loved on. Connections were made. It was shockingly amazing. It was so much fun. Our second one was this past Friday. And it was no less amazing. It was so Fun. There was, we estimated about 500 people there, um, which was a huge surprise, to be honest. This park is in a place where, if you, unless you live up in that neighborhood, you've never been there. Even if you grew up in Jamestown. I remember even going to the city clerk, paying for the park that we're going to use for Jamestown. And she's like, oh, so uh, where is this Johnson Street Park you're talking about? And I'm just like blown away. We don't even know where it is. But uh, it was this amazing time. Um, obviously super crowded and a lot of fun. But I think that this one was in, in some ways had an edge over the last one. Because our whole desire was to make connections. Create a fun environment. But in that fun environment is to make connections. And people would feel loved. And they would leave love. Knowing that we love our city. And that we have a hope for our city. And in those connections, yes, hi, an introduction. In those connections, the hope that's in us, which is Christ Jesus. Um, in those connections, connecting them to a greater hope, which is knowing the hope that God has put forth to us through Jesus Christ. I think that happened. In fact, I, I can say confidently, I know that that happened. Um, <laughs> through dunk tanks, through bounce houses, through amazing bands and music and amazing food, through all this would happen. And people kept asking, like, how in the world did you get hundreds of people up in that neighborhood at this park? And, of course, my first response uh, was, man, that was God. That was totally God. And then my second response was, and free snow cones. <laughs> so, God's free snow cones, right? Um, it was so much fun. And, and what this has turned into, if you've, if you've noticed, you've seen this ridiculous food truck around the city, it's not just the events that are fun and where the big 
serves and the connections are made. It's every day of the week up to the event. Um, our crews have been going out and they've been serving the community with free snow cones. It's an opportunity to get the word out, but ultimately make connections. And that has been happening. We've served thousands, thousands of snow cones. I literally had 20 gallons of snow cone syrup show up Friday at my, on my front porch. 20 gallons of syrup. And we're, we only got one event left. So that gives you kind of an idea of how much we've gone through. Yeah. Sugar. Yes. It's an amazing thing. Um, but I just want to take the time to, to, first of all, thank you guys. If you had any part um, in, in leading this event, serving at this event, getting the word out at the event, praying for the event, um, you know and I know that this, no, no little church on Newland Avenue can pull off something like that. This is, this is God's idea. This is God's work through us. And it was ultimately him that is, is working all this together. Our end goal is not to just throw a party, although we threw a pretty awesome party. Our end goal is that they would know the hope of Jesus Christ. And we believe, as we've learned this summer, that relationship is the currency for change. And so if we're going to love our city, we need to know our city. And this is an amazing way to make that happen. So I just want to thank you guys if you had any part of that. Um, and, and then if you've, if you've not had a chance yet to serve, we have one left. Uh, September 5th, this is Labor Day weekend. It's on a Saturday from 1 to 5. It's a little bit longer of an event. It's, a little bit, it's going to be quite a bit bigger of an event. We're doing chicken barbecue. It's going to be exciting. There's going to be a lot more like bells and whistles. We're still praying on and we're going to talk about that hopefully next week about what a big give looks like to this community as the kids have prepared to be back in school. The bad news, uh, kids, well I should say good news, parents, because the kids are downstairs. Kids already be back in school um, by the time we have that event. They start before Labor Day this year. So I've, like, I'm seeing parents like, yes. And I'm seeing like, everyone else like, what? What? Um, and so it's going to be an amazing opportunity for us to get back on track with school, get things ready, and then on that Saturday to be able to serve this community as we kind of bring to a close our summer fun. We bring to a close this I Am Loved event um, for the summer. Um, there'll be many more coming. Uh, and we've, been, we've been really excited. and it's, I feel like it's really given us an, a momentum and an energy, uh, even though we're, I'm looking around and I'm seeing lots of of droopy uh, eyes and a lot of tired people. So I just want to thank you guys so much for all that you've done. So many of you have given up your time, um, your talent, your, your financial resources, um, and certainly um, prayer for, for this event. So thank you, but we're not done. And it's going to be an awesome, awesome uh, final finale um, here in about a month. So who's excited? I'm excited. All right, so I'd like you to take, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and if somebody could yell out the page number if you get there. 627. 627. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get you one. Uh, two other quick things. Uh, <clears throat> if, you, if you're not sure like how you really want to serve, you want to help with what's happening here, um, here's one really simple way you can do so, is we're looking for people that would like to uh, come and clean the church uh, throughout the weeks. Um, we have a sign-up sheet on that black table in the back. Um, and so far, I don't believe there's any takers. And this is the first time we're kind of mentioning it. If you come in, you can vacuum, or you can sweep, or you can do anything that kind of helps us tidy the place up to get ready for you guys to come on the weekends. Uh, please do so in the back. Um, that would be great. It'd give us an idea. If you have any questions about it, come see me. The other thing I want to mention, there, uh, this is a fact. There are people that would be here today if they had a ride. Um... We've mentioned this the last few weeks, and we've been trying to organize some rides for people. Um, and I'll be honest, like, we've had you ladies. Can I get your attention for a second, ladies? Awesome job stepping up. Like, 
a huge list of ladies like, I'll help, I'll do this. That's awesome. You guys have guts, and I give you so much credit, and we are using you guys to be able to provide people with some rides. I would like some male, some men to step up and do this too, because specifically for uh, maybe some of the, the locations or the people that are being picked up, it would be good to have a, a male driver for that as well. So if you are interested in that, if you could do that, do not show up here with an empty seat in your car. Like, bring people, because there are people legitimately that want to be here. They're in different parts of the city that we may, we've already served this summer um, that would like to be here but need a ride. So if you have any questions about that and you'd like to drive or help in any way, um, come see myself or see Maureen Staley, um, and, sh and we'll talk to you about the details of that, okay? All right. So we are... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. So uh, if this is your first time here in a while or first time here, uh, we don't like to play by the rules. So we play things that are fun in church and, uh, and people do get hurt. I noticed, where's Marilyn? Marilyn has, has changed her seat uh, because she got hit twice in the head last week. Uh, but I made sure that even though we're talking about conflict, I made sure we're still friends. So that's good. Um, <laughs> so, summer fun, our focus has been relationships. Uh, it's been about family. It's been about life. It's been about different relationships that you have. We've ultimately been talking about my God, myself, and my people. And that the ultimate goal is that, that it's for God's glory, for our joy, and for their behalf. And so we've talked about different angles of that, and I feel like they've built on one another. The first week we talked about how relationship is the currency for change. Now when I throw these out, like just look alive, and if it hits a light and hits you in the back of the head, just laugh and feel the pain later. We got ice downstairs, and I've been working on my throw um, a little bit, um, but we know that relationship is the currency for change. You look at someone, you're like, that person has got to change. We all got those people, right? But this is the thing, is that God wants us to have a relationship with them. Not that we change them, but we're used as conduits to change them through the power of Jesus Christ. And sometimes they don't, they don't, they don't receive that. That's not our job. Our job is to be a conduit. Our job is to build that relationship and completely love the entire time. You guys are on your, the edge of your seat. All right, Vinny, we always do the first one to you. We'll practice. Look out. Yes! All right. Now, the other idea is that um, <laughs> what God desires to do to the people, like you look at this city, you look at this country, you watch the news, and we all have got different opinions on what's going on, what's happening, why the focus is here and not there, what somebody's sexual preference is and what it's not, or what they're, where they're at politically, and how in the world is that guy leading the polls, or how, the, how like, oh, you look at all these issues in our world, in our life, and you say, they need to change, and it's going to happen for, through relationship, but here's the thing, God's got a greater heart, love, and desire for this city than we could ever have. So the thing is, is that what God wants to do to the people will happen through his people. What God wants to do to the people will happen through his people. Yes! Now, when we get into relationship, there's this thing that happens. We get exposed. Relationship is the exposure to all the elements of life and death. And as we've experienced life and death, and inner relationship, as you've leaned forward for the kiss and completely fallen on your face, there's death in that. There's this feeling of like, I've leaned in and been completely, completely fallen on my face. But in that, knowing that Jesus ultimately came for us, he leaned in, and he has already received us. And so that he exposes us to the elements of life. But know that any, any relationship... And wherever we go today, that you are exposed in any relationship, a spouse, a friend, an in-law, to the elements of life and death. There's a risk in that. But know that that risk, through Jesus Christ, has already been accomplished. Like He's already made the risk so that you can take yourself out of the situation, which is where we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5 today. But relationship is exposure to all the elements of life and death. 
Yes, we are good today. Now, <clears throat> we know when relationship happens, things change. In, in a spouse relationship, a husband and a wife, a boyfriend and girlfriend, a co-worker relationship, a friendship, a neighbor, when, when things come together, there's this amazing, in all the appropriate ways, intimacy happens in that relationship. And so we said that when things heat up, everything changes. You've noticed that this summer. When things heat up in any relationship, everything changes. Oh, Mary. <laughs> it's okay. It's a bad throw. We were doing so good. I still like you, Mary. <laughs> Intimacy is a good thing. Intimacy is to be fully known and to fully know. To fully know and to be fully known. When you come into that relationship, and again, you understand the appropriate ways of what I'm talking. Husband and wife, intimacy looks completely different between you and your neighbor's intimacy, hopefully. Uh, but to be fully known is the heart of intimacy. And ultimately, God came to us. Not that he could have some legal transaction of, okay, cool, all my people are safe. No, 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 no. He wants to know you. He already knows you. And he wants you to know him. And you can search your entire life and not get to the bottom of the treasure of who God is. And it's an amazing journey to try, though. Because that is intimacy. And when intimacy happens here, it happens here. It flows out of you to the relationships in your life. So intimacy is to fully know and to be fully known. Yeah! That was good. She was like, oh, no. All right. Cool. Relationship is the bridge to intimacy. It happens through relationship that the intimacy happens. It's like you want to be close to that individual. You have to be exposed. You want to be close to that individual. You have to forgive. You want to be close to them. You have to lean in. It's through that relationship that intimacy happens. And we know that there's so many layers of this, and so it's, sometimes it's hard to do a review. You're like, wait a minute. I don't know. I've tried, and that didn't. Understand there's a context to this, that the relationship that Christ has given us has given us the bridge to intimacy. Jesus loving you more because of how great you're doing, it's not going to happen. It's not how he's designed it. He paid the price fully for your sin so that there's nothing you can offer him to make you love you more, to make him love you more, to make him love you less. And so that relationship that he's created has given us intimacy. So now we have the power. Now we have the strength to give that relationship, that intimacy to others. You ready? Oh! Sorry. Last but not least, as we move into today, we're talking about conflict for two weeks. Conflict is fun, isn't it? Conflict is fun, isn't it? <laughs> um, we use the analogy of a creek and a stony creek in that um, what makes a creek, what makes a river beautiful a lot of times is the rocks that the water rushes over. We also know that, that those rocks can create havoc they can create, even in a relationship, rocks can cause a dam. A place where the relationship can just come to a halt. But we argued last week and hopefully as we lean into this week that when things get rocky, there's an opportunity for beauty. Any beautiful flowing creek or river, the beauty of it happens because of the rocks. And so you in your life understand that anything that gets rocky, when things get rocky, there's an opportunity for beauty. There you go, Norman. That's all you, buddy. Yes! Love it. Love it. All right. So last week, one of the reasons that we took two weeks to um, discuss conflict is because I took, I, I took a long period of time last week to tell you about the story that Jesus told about the prodigal son, that there was a man that had two sons. And of those two sons, the, the younger son 
one day was discontent with where he was at, what he was doing, and he thought maybe the grass is green on the other side. So he went to his father, and he sat at a table on his front porch, and he says, Dad, I want you to give me the inheritance, which is half the inheritance that you owe me. I'm better off with you, Dad. And so just give it to me now, and I'm out of here. I'm gone. And so the father, being a good father, yet completely sovereign in control, complete love for his son, he gave him that choice, and he gave him the inheritance. And his son literally left to a distant country. And he squandered all that he had to the point where he had nothing. And as he was one day like so hungry, so lost, so far from home, he was down on his knees and he was getting ready to eat the pig's food. And then in that moment, in that aha moment, he realized how far he was from home. He realized how dark the place he was in. And he realized that he needs to come home. The first thing he thought about was his father's home. The first thing he thought about was his father's heart. And the first thing he thought about was the servants that, the father, that worked for the father. And he thought, if I, if I apologize a certain way, if I repent a certain way, then my father will receive me and I will become <clears throat> his servant. I may not be his son anymore, but I'll be his servant. So he practices his, his I'm sorry speech the entire way home, practicing what he would say to his father. But one thing he forgot the true heart of his father was that he was staring every day at this table over the porch, over the gravel road that led over the hill, waiting and praying and hoping and longing, intending that his son would come home someday. Until the very day that he did, this old farmer who hasn't run in a long time ran after his boy. He says, my son is coming home. And the son, a little surprised by his father running, stops. And his father comes to him and embraces him and he welcomes him home. He kisses him. He says, bring a robe for my son. Bring a ring for his finger. Bring shoes for his feet. Kill the fatted calf because we are about to party. My son who is dead is now alive. My son who is lost is now found. It is time to party. He honors his son. He didn't say, and even the son saying, I'm dad, I'm so sorry. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just put me at, like as one of your hired servants and like I'll be so content with that. And his, his dad's saying hogwash, no pun intended. And he says to his son, bring, a, or he says to his servants, bring clothing for his back, which represents the righteousness of his father given to the son. He says, bring a ring for his finger, which represents the, the royalty that no matter what you do, nothing will change the fact that you're my son. He says, bring shoes for his feet. Because the whole idea is not to just come home and be saved from something, but it's to be saved to something, to be on mission for others. And he says, kill the fatted calf. We are going to celebrate for eternity as we lean into the fact that you were lost and now you're found. So they come, they throw a party. The older son, Jesus tells um, that he came home from work in the field, and he noticed that there was a party happening. As he approached the home, the, one of the servants came out and says, your brother, he's home. He was lost, and now he's found. He was dead, and now he's alive. And the brother, surprisingly, was sad. To the point where he pouted. He entitled, sat on the side of the hill. And the father, knowing his boys, the father knowing that not just one of his sons who had been lost and has been found is not home, but now remembered, where's my other son? And, and knowing the heart of his boys, he went out to search for the other son. And in that conversation, this, the older son, the one that always does everything right, the one that's always at church, the one that's always keeping the commands, the one that's always working hard, the one that's always got the right answers, the one that, that like typical older brothers, the ones that always never get in trouble, right? Here he is, pouting. Dad, how dare you do this? You never throw a party for me and my friends. And Jesus telling the story ends it. That's it. In Luke 15, he just stops the story. And I believe strongly that at that day, those, um, the Jewish culture, the people that he was teaching to would have understood the end of the story. They would have understood that the very man, the very son of man, the very son of God, the very Jesus that they were hearing from was 
saying loud and clear that he would have been the true older brother in the story, which is different than what happened in the story that he told. So hypothetically, like stretching this a little bit, <clears throat> the older brother ticked that this party is happening. How can you celebrate this guy? All he did was, was stiff-arm you, Dad. All he did was all these wrong things, and he squandered your money, and he left us here to work. All these things are happening. He literally leaves his father, and he walks past this table that has always been a table that his father waited, but yet it's the table of conflict. And he grabbed the table, and he threw the table, and it came crashing down. And he stormed up to where he lives in the part of house, part of the farm, part of the house that he lived in, the older brother. And I can imagine the party's done. The younger son is just filled with joy that he is home, that he has worth in the father, in his heart. He's been welcomed home. He has been set aside, set apart as royalty. He's bursted out of the darkness. And now he's in the light of the Father. And here he is walking past the table that the, the younger, the prodigal had seen so many times. In fact, the last time he was at this table on the front porch, he sat there with his father. And he says, Dad, I'm no longer worthy. Or excuse me, Dad, I'm, it's better off that you're dead. I'm going to take the inheritance. I'm going to go squander it. The last time he was there, but now this time, the table's the same. But yet the table is crashed in the floor. The table is broken. And so I bet him being so filled with joy, I'm, I'm, again, I'm stretching the parable here. This is not out of Luke 15. But I can imagine going with the parable that he stepped over the conflict and he walked inside. And I can imagine day after day as the older brother has had a really hard time with his younger brother who squandered all he had, came home. I can imagine that everybody in the house stepping over the broken table completely ignoring the problem. Such is conflict. We ignore it. We ignore the awkward tension. We ignore a problem, just a, not, no problem. And, and I don't know if you have these things in uh, your home, like maybe it's Guys, it's your socks or whatever it is and, or something in the floor. And like literally, it's there. And it would take you 0.5 seconds to pick it up. But this is what you do every time. You just step over it. Like it's not really an issue, right? And we get to this spot so many times in our life, so many times in our heart where we have this conflict that has been maybe inflicted by us or maybe we're a victim of that conflict. And it may be huge and it may be completely small. But yet all we do is we avoid it. We can see that it's broken. We can see that the relationship is broken. We can see ultimately that when things have now gotten rocky in the relationship, it's not beautiful. And so because it's not beautiful, we give up. We ignore it. We walk away. We try to hide it. The heart of Jesus telling this story is the heart of where we're at in 2 Corinthians 5 today. The true older brother, and they would have understood this that day, the true older brother was Jesus. That in Jewish culture, that would have not, ha that would have not, that would not have happened. The older brother would have left the farm the older brother would have left the comforts of home to go find the younger brother. Guys, if you don't hear anything today, hear this. We are to leave our comfort to go find the lost. Outreach is not something the church does. Outreach is something the church is. And many, many kind of like see this angle like, what is the church? The church is the body of believers. Body of people that have said, I'm all in with Jesus. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. And by faith I trust that He has died for me. He has made a way to reconcile me to a holy God. And by the filling of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in my life I am being 
sanctified, I'm growing, and I get to do this with the community of believers called church that I'm in. But by its very nature, church should be a natural overflow of outreach. If we're saved, like think about this, if we actually believe that we, because of what Jesus did in our faith in him, that we're going to go to heaven forever, we believe that, and we believe that if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, that you'll be separated from God, a holy God for eternity in hell. If we actually believe that, and we're not living according to that, then I would question that we actually believe it. Church, our natural overflow should be outreach, and this is why I love, love this church. This is why it's so refreshing to see us living on mission is to see this in the lives of people, that they're willing to put their time, their effort, and everything on the line so that people know that they're loved by a God and that God is not waiting to squash them. God has made a way for us to be reconciled to him through Jesus, who is our hope. So the church is not, it's not outreach is not something a church does. Outreach is, is something the church is. A Christian is something it is someone that, who, who, who lives in reconciliation ultimately to God so that it can now flow to others. And this is the heart of the passage. Let's finally get there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14 through the end of the chapter. I'd like to give you, as I've done the last few weeks, I'd like to give you the time. If you do not have a Bible, you're going to need one. So just raise your hand if, if anybody still needs a Bible. If you do have a Bible and you know the page and it's already there, why don't you read from verse 14 to the end of the chapter. I'll give you a couple of minutes to do so. For the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ controls us. How many of you have felt love or felt that the love of Christ is controlling you? Probably the better question. How many in points of your day, maybe in the last couple days, have felt like the love of Christ is not controlling me? That's probably the better question. He's challenging us here. In this first part of where we're going today, that the love of Christ controls us. And not that it should control us, but that it actually will. Why? Because we have, been conclu- we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. That they would no longer live for themselves but for him, who for their sake died and was raised. This is the entire idea of what it looks like to come to Christ. Is that we are no longer living for ourselves. But now, no longer living for ourselves and living for Christ is living. Would you agree with that? Living for Christ is living. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, there's challenges. Yes, there's all these things that we wrestle against that's not flesh and blood. It's the rulers of darkness in this present world that is consuming us that we don't want to give credit to, but we need to address knowing that what we fight against, even guys in our relationships, and even in this relationship, it's supernatural coming against us, oppressing us. So our opportunity, our privilege is to say, it's not me anymore. It's not this victim mentality like I am being so oppressed. Like all these things, like things are brave. All these, like, yeah, there's, there's reality to that. But there's this amazing, overcoming, hopeful moment where you step out of yourself and you say, Christ is living in me. He is my hope, regardless of what happens in my house. Regardless of what happens in my family. Regardless of what happens to this body. Because you cannot take Jesus away from me. You cannot take the Holy Spirit away from me and how he's living in me in my life and through my life. This is your hope. This is our call. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of what point you're at, maybe you're that older brother. Maybe you're that point of like, you know what? I got all these people in my life and they are so lost. And you're so pious. 
And your ability to say, I've done it right and I've gotten all the right answers and I've stayed faithful may have made you just as lost as your younger brother. Because on that day, the father realized that he has two lost sons. And so may this be a call to myself and to you to humble ourselves and understand that what makes us found is the Father's heart. And what makes us alive is the Father's heart. Being with the Father that better is one day with Him than a thousand elsewhere. And so that when we step into this point of stepping out of ourselves, stepping into all that Christ desires us to be, in His power, in His strength, From now on, verse 16, Therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. Listen, this is the best part of this entire thing. Is that we don't regard people according to their flesh anymore. It addresses here, like we once regarded Jesus Christ in His flesh because He lived 33 years on this earth. There was a day and a time in the history of the world when someone could say, hey Jesus, what's up? Like they regarded Him because He was an actual God with skin to us to save us. Like we regarded Him as flesh. He died. It was a horrific Uh, murder that he went through. The punishment for us. We regard him as flesh. And even to the point where three days later he rises from the dead, we regard him as flesh. And even as he has ascended to his Father in heaven, he was once regarded as flesh. But now we regard him in a different aspect. Because Jesus has said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. It's better that I send him than if I were to stay. And so now we regard Jesus... God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit as one in our lives and every day. This is a picture of what we were supposed to do in our relationships. I can't regard you in your flesh. And this is the hardest thing. When so-and-so does X, Y, and Z, you deal with it accordingly, right? But there's this thing that he's challenging us to, that Paul is challenging the church in Corinth to don't, recall, don't regard them, don't hold them according to their flesh. Like step out from yourself, regardless of what they did to you. Regardless of what they said about you. Like it doesn't mean that there, you shouldn't, parents, you shouldn't bring consequences to train your child. It doesn't mean that bosses or, or, or supervisors in here shouldn't be like, hey, you did this, this, and this, you're fired. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying regarding your heart and your call as a believer in Jesus to be a minister of reconciliation, this is what we're called to be in context. All this is from God through Christ Jesus reconciled us to himself and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the the, the depth of the prodigal son story. This is the whole heart of what Jesus, the true older brother, would have done. He would have left home. He would have reconciled the brother to the Father. In fact, this is what Jesus did when he left heaven, the comforts and the presence of his Father, and he came to this earth, and he rescued us. He brought us back. He reached out his hand. He says, there's a better way. There is the way, and I am the way to the Father. I am the truth. This is the absolute only way, shape, and form to get from there to there. It's through Jesus Christ. 
And I am the life. I'm not just here to make you suffer the entire thing. Yes, you will suffer. Yes, it's a struggle. Yes, it's a long road back. But understand that the work is done and the price is paid and it is finished. Jump on and come with me. That is reconciliation. That is what you're called to. That's what I'm called to. So when things get rocky, this is what I mean, that it can now turn to beauty. Relationship and conflict. Conflict resolution is never fun. But there's this opportunity to look at conflict broken on the floor and to look at it and say, if it's in my power to do it, I'm going to fix this through the power of Jesus in my life. And there's times where you, like, you try to put it together and you don't have the tools, you don't have the, 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 the certain like, allotted time or whatever to deal with it. There's times where you can literally walk away knowing that I did my best. I opened the door to allow God to work through me. And you know what? That person never received it. That person never changed. It's not your job to change them. It's the Holy Spirit's job. So lean on Him. Let Him lean through you and flow through you so that that can happen. And you can look at the table of conflict and you can say, I will do anything to have it fixed. Someone actually handed me, I don't know if they were joking, but um, handed me some money uh, this morning to fix the table. Um, and I love this because the heart of it is like, oh, what... Okay. Because some people like literally ignore it and they walk right over it and they completely forget. But some people, they, they can't stop looking at it because they want to do anything that they can to fix it. And this is the heart of the true older brother. This is the heart of Jesus Christ to each one of us that we would be that way to our father, that we would be that way to our mother, that we would be that way to our brother, that we'd be that way to our neighbors, that we'd be that way to our coworkers, that we'd be that way to all the people that you saw on Friday night, that you'd be that way to the person next to you in the pew, that you'd be that way to that boss who's a complete jerk, that you would reach to them, you could reconcile them. And if you're in the way, Get out of the way. Let Jesus step in the way. And you be Jesus, so to speak. And you say, you know what? Even though you did this, I'm going to reconcile you to the one who can forgive you. I'm having a hard time with this, but you know what? I'm going to step back. As Pastor Ben says a lot, like, yield your own mouth so that the Holy Spirit can step in. Like, that's a lot of times. It's like, it's not throwing money at the problem. It's not, like, spending hours in the problem. It's not talking to death. It's literally stopping and shutting your mouth and allowing the Holy Spirit to do an amazing work that only He can do because it's Him who reconciles us to God. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, they are one. This is how they are one. They reach, they sin, they dream, they long. They, they dream of the moment when you come over the hill, but they're also with you coming over the hill to reconcile you to the Father. And they're also the power and the environment of what's happening. And through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, it gives you hope and joy that this happens. That yes, there's awkwardness. Yes, you completely spent all your dad's money. In fact, you squandered it and you should be mad, but you're not. You're receiving him. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And yes, He does supernatural things. Yes, He heals. Yes, He does miraculous things that like, would be awesome in like, all Americanized supernatural superhero movies kind of things. But at the end of the day, what the Holy Spirit is, not the end of the day, but the majority of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life today, in your relationship, is He's reconciling us to Him. And therefore, He's reconciling you to your brother. It doesn't mean at the end of the day that the table gets pretty. We, we, we said last week that um, a healthy relationship is not one that has no conflict. A healthy relationship is not one that is the absence of conflict. But a healthy relationship is actually a relationship that is figured out, as we talked about the creek, figured out the right pathways to deal when conflict comes. You messed up. Or you messed up. There's this grace that happens when you come together and you say, you know what? I messed up. You may be 2% two, two of the problem. But when you clothe yourselves in the righteousness of Christ... And the righteousness of God, and not the pious older brother, but when you clothe yourselves with what God has, then you can step in and say, you know what? I've messed up. I'm going to try to do better as far as our relationship, but I know like, it's my responsibility to just own this and, 
It's my responsibility to, to, to fix this with you. And maybe that happens through a text, an email, a Facebook message, a face-to-face. Maybe you can't reconcile that person. Maybe that person's not here anymore. But the point is, is what is God asking each one of you to do? Not to gain approval with him. He's already, he's already made that approval happen. You've already been welcome home. you got the ring, the shoes, and the robe, and the party to prove it. But there's people all over eating pig's food who are, like, if there's an opportunity for us to let them know, the last thing they would want us to, do, like, we'd want them to do is to look and see us partying while they're eating the pig food. They're meant to be home, too. And God is sovereign. But I know at the same time, you and I are called to be on mission to reconcile as it says right here, the banner over it is be reconciled to God. We talk about pressure. It says that he has entrusted the ministry of reconciliation. The whole idea of bringing people to God, yes, power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, through the way, the truth, the life that is Jesus. Yes, through the heart of the Father. But it says right here that He's entrusted you with the message of reconciliation that doesn't, that's actually not a message, it's your life. And so He's literally, He's left the, like, this ministry to you and then He's walked out of the building and He sent His Holy Spirit to give you power to live that message of reconciliation. And so, this is the big picture. This is the big picture. Keep cracking, I'm sorry. This is the big picture. This is the heart of God. But I know too, we need to make some practical steps. Because we can't just walk out and be like, yeah, this is so good, reconcile, woohoo! That's my life, I'm all in. But then you get in the car, or you get to work, or you get to the next Thanksgiving gathering with your family and it's awkward. Make that call. Have that conversation. I wrote down three things I would like you to write down. Um, I wrote down three things regarding uh, conflict resolution that I think that would be super helpful. Last week was a lot of the heart, and this week's been a lot of review in the heart, but I want to end just on these uh, three simple points. These aren't steps. These aren't conclusive. There's probably 300 steps. But these are three things that I noticed that I want us to see and hear before we leave. Number one. In fact, I have them numbered one, two, and four. I don't know why. Um, I might need help with counting. Uh, <laughs> number one. Different versus wrong. Different versus wrong. This is huge. Different versus wrong. Romans chapter 10 talks about how God has, and it's, it's, a, it's a prophetic uh, continuation of Isaiah 65, and it's when God is saying to Israel, essentially saying to us, to those that are followers of Jesus, He's saying, I've held out my hands to receive a disobedient and contrary people all day long. We taught through this, Pastor Ben and I, and when we were in Romans for about 23 years, it seemed like. Um, we were in there a long time, and this is one of the angles we said, that God is always, He's there, He's waiting, He's receiving, He's like that Father, waiting for you, longing for you to come over the hill to receive a disobedient and contrary people. Disobedient, we get. Like, God says this, and we do, like, there's this disobedient, like, we got that. But contrary, what does contrary mean? Contrary is this idea that it's a different way of doing something. And, and this is a whole idea, especially in our culture, so not PC. It's, it's, it, it's so PC, that, that, to the point where there's one way to God, which is through Jesus Christ. And the road is narrow. It's not difficult. 
It's simple, but it's through Jesus, and it's through faith in him. And so there's this thing when it comes to contrary where if I was to... Is that better? She always makes fun of me. She's like, man, you don't do it that smooth. You just take your time. Thank you. Cool. All right. So if I, I'm not going to for the sake of time, um, and this analogy may be ridiculous. It may not. It makes sense to me, so I'll explain it. So if there was a person here and there was a person here, particularly at the front of the church, at the altar, this is usually how it works on the wedding day. There's a person here, a person here. The wife's usually here, and the groom, uh, the, the husband's usually here, right? And... Let's say if, if the goal was to get a flag in the back of this runner, the back of the church. If I was to say, okay, guys, um, when I say go, the goal is to get the flag. Um, Mark gets set, go. And, of course, they would sprint, and they would run after it, and they, one of them would grab the flag, right? And they would probably run similar. And, again, at the end of the day, there would be a winner. Somebody won the race. Like, that, that was the winner of that between those two people. Now, Suppose I was to say, it's now not about speed. It's not about who gets to the flag first. I want you to, in order to get from here to the flag, I want you to do it in the most creative, in the most unique way. All of a sudden, the game changes. Like, they will get to the flag. But maybe one, and maybe this is a a children's lesson or something, but um, one may get there by walking like a chicken. Or one may get there, if, if the goal is to be as creative and as unique as possible, one may get there by walking over the pews. It's not a race. It's supposed to be, and you guys are going to vote which one is the most unique and the most creative. That is contrary. They are getting to the same place a lot of times, but they're doing it in a different way. Now, the problem with this is that there's one way to do it, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's one ultimate goal for both sons, is to be home with the father. And so the whole idea is that one older brother, the true older brother, would go get his younger brother and bring him back to the way, the truth, the life, through the father's heart. We talk about this in a lot of counseling, especially marriage counseling, is that you guys are actually wanting the same thing. You want the end goal to be the same, but yet you're doing it completely different ways that are actually becoming destructive to one another. But before we go any further, you need to understand that there's an absolute difference between somebody doing it different and somebody doing it wrong. Who in your life have you had conflict with because they do it different? I'm not talking about, well, you you find a different way to God. No, no, there's one way it's through Jesus Christ. But I'm talking about, like, in just your relationships. I'm talking about how to make that pecan pie at Thanksgiving. I'm talking about how they cook their turkey. I'm talking about how they hunt or how they, they, they spend their money or how they, how they drive their car or how, how they don't drive their car or how they, um, how, they, how they look or the size that they are, the size that they're not, or the, the, the way that they spend their time or the way they don't spend their time. Like, yes, there's absolute principles. There's absolute things, the reasons why you live the way you live. But some of us take people that are different and they, we set them aside and we expel them from being, like, we label them wrong when really they're just different. This is a call that the older brother and the younger brother are different. But they were both lost. They both were trying to find their way to the Father's heart. One was doing it through trying to keep all the laws and to try to nail it by earning his way. And the other was trying to find his Father's heart by ultimately running from the Father's heart. So whether we're free-spirited or whether it's self-discovery or whether it's some other thing of us trying to be moralistic, ultimately we're both lost. We have to be brought, we're contrary. We're doing it the wrong way. When ultimately God has made the way simple through Jesus Christ. So you need to see this with your brother and those that you have conflict with. And you come to the table of conflict, and when you're eye to eye, and you're knee to knee, and you're toe to toe, see that. Give the benefit of the doubt that like, they may do it different. But here's the bottom line. All roads 
lead to the Father for those boys? What's the end of the story leave us with? Ultimately, the younger son, he made his way back to the Father. And the story leaves us this cliffhanger wondering, with the older boy, I bet, every day when he steps over this table and remembers how he treated his father in that day, that he's going to do the right thing. And that all roads lead back to the heart of the Father. Because that road is named Jesus. So there's a difference between somebody doing it different and somebody doing it wrong. Number two, keep short accounts. Keep short accounts, even if it's not your fault. There's this beautiful thing that I know Pastor Ben has talked about a couple of times in the area of proximity. When you're close to someone and you let them in and you expose everything in you to the, the elements of life and death, there's this ability for you to, through the power of Jesus, to, to receive them and for them to receive you. Have that conversation. If somebody's wronged you, filter it. Talk to the Lord about it. Talk to them about it. Keep that short account. It's this idea in Ephesians 4.26 that don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it. And that doesn't mean, like, literally, like, fight at 7 o'clock at night. We're going to fix this before the sun goes down. And you're forceful. I don't know anybody that's ever done that. Um, it's just like the willingness, understand too, the willingness to try to fix something can be so forceful that you actually make it more broken. But when you keep short accounts and you try, even if you say this to someone, I, I know I screwed up or, or I know there's a, like, but I just want to let you know, like, I'm open anytime, any place, I'll be there. You just allow them the opportunity to make that bridge to intimacy through your relationship. Pursue them. Keep short accounts. Number four, or <laughs> number three. Um, <laughs> intentions are loud, but words are louder. Intentions are loud, but words are louder. And immediately, we go to this phrase that actions, help me out, actions speak Louder than words. And so we get in this like Americanized thought of, well, you do X, Y, and Z, then you'll climb that ladder and I'll approve you. And we get to actions, and I feel like we got to step back to the words. And I feel like we got to step back further and go to the intentions. Like, are you sharing your intentions? Are you sharing your words with those that you've been in conflict with? Like, validate them, validate them, validate them. Love them. Like, tell them what they're doing right. Tell them where they're nailing. Tell them where they're knocking out of the park before you bring in the truth. Bring in the, here's where I'm offended. Or here's where I could suggest things could change. Because again, a healthy relationship is not the absence of conflict. It's the pathways that we create through grace, through love, for change to happen. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 talks about edifying one another, encouraging one another, building one another up. Ephesians 4.29 talks about let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, let it minister grace to the hearers. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say it at all. I feel like they stole some of these principles from the Word, but ultimately, I love how the, the Word takes it a complete further step. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that may minister grace, that may build them up, that may build their character, build their soul, build what they're doing right, but also addressing like, this is what's happening. And I love you. And there's all kinds of sugar in the situation. Share with them your intentions. Share with them where you're at. Share with them your words. And I believe strongly that in that relationship that will lead to action. Finally, um, conflict resolution. There's a hundred different ways we could go. 
my goal in these two weeks was just simply for you to have the idea, the heart, and the context of how to deal when conflicts come. In your home, in your church, and in your community. In your own heart, and when you fall on your face, and you've completely, as you would think, messed it up with the Lord, <laughs> He's ready. He's already got a hand reaching. He's already with you to bring you home to the Father. So I want to encourage you as we, as we close that loud and clear is the Father God is longing for you to come over that hill. Jesus is with you bringing you home. Who in your life needs to come home? Love, grace, presence. And I believe that it happens with the heart of the Father and the reaching of the true older brother. <laughs> We've all been there. It's our opportunity to be there for them. There's a, I'm going to close with this. There's a, a Christian music artist named Stephen Curtis Chapman that I listened to a lot growing up. And um, in 2008, um, they, uh, they adopted um, a few children from China. And um, a horrible uh, accident happened um, in their family. And uh, there was an interview on, this is in 2008, there was an interview that happened on um, Good Morning America. And I wanted to just read a paragraph to you about something that honestly is shaped, um, I wish that my actions were. <laughs> it shaped my heart, it shaped my mind, and this is what I'm working to do in my relationships, to not react like a doofus, to not react like a fool, but that I would react like that older, the true older brother would react. Award-winning Christian music star Stephen Curtis Chapman and his family opened their hearts for the first time this week since the loss of their youngest family member in May. On Wednesday, Good Morning America aired an exclusive interview with the Chapmans at their home in Franklin, Tennessee, in which they recounted the day of the tragic accident as well as their path towards healing through faith and hope. The girls had been playing on the playground, recalled Chapman's wife, Mary Beth, to GMA's Robin Roberts. She described the 21st incident that involved their youngest daughter, Maria Sue, and their youngest son, Will Franklin, as a complete accident. And she, Maria, was actually excited that Will Franklin was coming home. Maria was excited that Will was coming home. And he is so great with the girls, the mom said. They just love him. And she was running to see him and, you know, ran, you know, into the path of the car. After being struck by the sport utility vehicle in the driveway of the family's Williamson County home, five-year-old Maria Sue Chapman, the youngest of the six Chapman children, one of the three adopted from China was rushed to a Nashville hospital where she was later pronounced dead from her injuries. In, GMA, in the GMA interview, Stephen Curtis Chapman was asked to recall the words that he spoke to the 17-year-old Will Franklin Chapman as he was getting into the car to go to the hospital. He said, I really don't remember this, the Grammy Award winner said. It was actually Dave, Uncle Dave, that told me. He said that you, he said to you, Stephen, he said that you rolled down your window and very loudly yelled, really, with as much strength as you could muster, and just said, Will Franklin, your father loves you. He said, 
I just had a deep concern in my heart that I wouldn't lose two children as a result of this. In GMA's interview with the Chapman three oldest children, Will Franklin, who was driving the SUV, described how the love and support from his family helped him get through the difficult time. Beginning from immediately after the accident, Will Franklin said, I started running after the accident, you know, and I started just running away from the house. And I remember Caleb, Will Franklin's brother, was the first to run to me. And he kind of just jumped on me and he held me. And um, Shaoi, one of the Chapman's adopted daughters, was right there grabbing him as well. To me to know, that meant a ton. I didn't really want to be at the house. I just wanted to be away. I feel like that is the heart that we are to have when everything hits the fan. Would it be that father that's yelling, driving out of the driveway, Will Franklin, I love you. In desperation, from the heart of all he is, I love you. Into the person who's completely wrecked it all. We are to be running after them and tackling them and affirming that we love them. Who in your life do you need to tackle? Who in your life do you need to yell at? Not yell at, but yell to that you love them. Love. There's no underestimation of what love can do. And the fire and the passion of Christ in us to others. This is an opportunity for us to truly live. This is what the church is like is that when you mess up, or you mess up, or you're running, and you feel like, I can't go there, the building's going to fall me, I've got to feel so far away from home, and I feel like we are running, we are grabbing, and we are saying we love you. There is a way home. There is a way home. It's okay. And this is a time for us to walk into the conflict, resolution, and things that we have in our lives, and to deal with it in this very same way that the Father and the Son dealt with it. And I want to encourage you at, like on a positive level. Like don't leave this, this moment somber. Don't leave this moment like I've messed up. I'm lost or I've not reached or reconciled as I should. See this as a moment of rejoicing that God has given you this chance. If you're not dead, you're not done. You're breathing. You're alive. Go and be the hands, the feet, the heart the mind of Christ. Reach to those. Go and celebrate in that. For you to be here today, and you feel that way, if you feel lost, we're here to pray. You're far from home. You're actually not far from home. You're that older brother that feels like you're home because of what you've done. Well, you're actually far from home. And it's the heart of the Father that wants you and desires you to be and to know who He is. And so as you stand, would you, would you stand as we close in this song? I wanna, if you need prayer and encouragement, we're here. But ultimately, no, this is an opportunity for us to be launched out and to live according to this very heart that the father had and the true older brother had. Lord.